Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by National Roper Supply. NRS has been providing quality Western wear and horse tack since 1989, and they are proud to be the number one Western store in the USA. From functional and fashionable Western wear and horse tack to essential livestock and horse supplies, NRS carries the products you need at prices you can afford. NRS is a one-stop shop for all things Western. NRS also carries our new line of modern cowboy brand apparel, caps, t-shirts, and hoodies, as well as the Cowboy Way protein powder. And for our listeners, use your special discount code, MODERNCOWBOY, at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. And I just would like to thank all of you, our podcast listeners and customers, who have supported the Modern Cowboy brand and have been a part of our community since we launched in 2018, as well as all of the amazing guests who shared their stories on the show. Just remember, Modern Cowboy is the brand for the cowboy in all of us. Today's episode is also brought to you by G-Site Solutions. G-Site Solutions is the number one dry fire laser training system. With the best variety of targets from tactical to game strategy, you download and activate the free app to your iPhone or Android. The Elms Plus laser cartridge is the only laser cartridge in the world with replaceable rubber strike pads. This allows you unlimited shots. You can work on your trigger press, your sight picture, your grip, your stance, and your breathing, all in the comfort of your own home while tracking how your accuracy improves. Look, repetition is the mother of skill. And as a former hunter education instructor and certified NRA pistol and range safety officer, I know the importance of consistent training to stay proficient and safe. G-Site Solutions Dry Fire Laser Training System does just that without going to the range and using up expensive ammunition. Head over to g-site.com and check out all their available products. And tell them Dan at the Modern Cowboy Podcast sent you. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs, $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same, the minute we ride in to the roping pen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, I, I'm really honored to have my guest on today, C. Thomas Howell. Uh, he is an actor, uh, director, singer, storyteller, songwriter, and just, uh, I mean, everybody knows him. And uh, it's uh, its just really, really an honor, and I'm really excited to have him on. So, Tommy, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Thank you, brother. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so, I mean, let's just kind of start from the beginning. I mean, you were in The Outsiders. I mean, this is an uh, an epic, iconic American film. Uh, you know, um, how, how did that come about? I mean, what to, what 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 transpired to get you in that? I mean, this, well, know. we have to go back just a little bit earlier. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> um, a just stunt people. My my father, uh, all my relatives 
from uncles, cousins, my sister, even my mother at one point. They all did stunts. My father was a professional bull rider for 10 years. And back in the day, most of the stunt guys were cowboys because most films were Westerns. And, you know, whether it was doing a horse fall or, or, you know, a big battle scene or a fight, whatever, they'd bring in cowboys to do the work. And my, my dad sort of fell into the, to the end of that. Cause of course he's not old enough to when they were just doing, you know, he wasn't doubling Gene Autry. He came a little later. Right. 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 So he, uh, really is the the reason why i i got into the business it, uh nepotism is a large part of the stunt community right. um at least it used to be and it was just a natural thing for a son to step up and take over the father's family stunt business and that's you know how um it was back then and i started acting you know i i i um got lucky and there was a meeting uh, for a role in ET that they needed uh, a kid that could kind of ride the bike a little bit and be handy because the other kids that they had could ride them. But, you know, there was quite a bit of action and they, they wanted to be able to cut to somebody once in a while. And um, they knew I came from a stump background and that meeting went well. And I got the job in ET when I was like 13. And um, again, that for me was just, you know, that meant a better horse and a, and a better trailer. You know, I, my focus at that time was team roping. Right. And um, I was, you know, running with people like Ricky Green and Alan Bach and Walt Woodard and um, learning to rope behind guys like Sean Howell and, and, and the greats back then, you know, the great Gary Mao. And these guys were, were you know, it was my back then. It wasn't unusual to send your kid down the road at a young age, especially, you know, in what wasn't it wasn't deemed an apprenticeship. But, you know, I was basically grooming horses for world champs and and, you know, spinning for them in the practice pen and learning how how to become, you know, um, the best. And that's what I wanted to do. And. 1979, 1980, 1981, I was California State all-around champ and junior rodeo for California Junior Rodeo. Um, Really thought that was going to be my future. And then the outsiders happened. And um, that was something that, you know, didn't derail my, my rodeo career, but it all of a sudden I went from Spielberg to Coppola and I was, you know, 14 years old and, and pe- people were scratching their head a little bit, including, you know, my family. I could care less because, like I said, you know, I was roping and riding steers and wanting to ride bulls. And that's that was intimidating. You know, you, p- pressure is entering in a $50 roping when you got five bucks in your pocket. That's pressure, you know, right. not walk, not walking into a room and, and saying, Hey, I'd like to say these words for you. Right. You know, it, it really rodeo really gave me an advantage in the entertainment business because it, it gave me a perspective that was real. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a lot of these kids, they go into these meetings with their, folks as their set parents and and you know they would dote on these kids and that was the highlight of the day you know 
if we weren't done gathering, we didn't get to the audition. You know what I mean? We had different perspectives and, and, and my dad didn't let, um, the acting thing, uh, he didn't, he, he didn't allow me to forget where I came from. Right. And especially at a young age, that happened when I got a little bit older as it does, you know, you, you when you're, when you're, 19, 20, 21, bulletproof and think you know everything. Yes. And that that definitely happened to me. And, you know, thank God I came out of that halfway decent. But but before that, as I said, I had a real advantage <clears throat> going into these meetings because of my my background, you know, um, uh, going down the road at 12, 13 years old, being in accidents with four horse trailers and on the, on rainy nights and, you know, dealing with nine one one situations and, and, you know, real responsibilities. Like if I'm not there to, to water and feed, they don't eat, you know, right. things like that at a young age. Right. And, and that stuff matters because that stuff taught me how to um, be reliable and how to complete something. You know, my father raised me to finish a lot of people start a lot of crap, you know, but to have the um, will and really the self-discipline to complete something yeah. takes a lot of focus and there's a lot of distractions in the world right now. Right. And, and, you know, not to skip too far ahead, but <clears throat> I spent 40 years in, in the business as an actor and I, I've never done anything else. And I've been so blessed there and I, you know, Loved it. But for a while, I lost myself and I, and I, you know, it was important to me to not reveal where I was from and who I was because of the stereotypes that came with um, being raised as a rancher or a cowboy. And at a young age, that affected me in a way that I didn't really have any examples to feel proud otherwise, right. you know. Now, and it's funny because my father said to me, he said, you, you'll, you'll circle back, you'll embrace your roots. And it's funny, um, even though I've been blessed and I've worked my whole life, I can honestly say it wasn't until I really did embrace who I was. And, it, and, and I, had, I had one of those, um, I had a real come to Jesus moment, so to speak, right. with, the, with the director that I was working with. And it was right before COVID hit. And I spent two months in L.A. doing a two man play. And we we the plan was eight weeks of rehearsal. Then we were going to put it up for eight weeks. And I'd never done a play before. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of stress and a lot of words in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And there was only two of us. So it was a you know, it was a heavy load to carry and we put a lot of work into this and uh, literally four days before the Friday night, we were supposed to open COVID basically shut down the city and the country. Right. So um, it, it set kind of idle for a second. And before I left and we were all somewhat despondent, this director that I was working with named Shanna Betts, and she's a wonderful woman extremely well-trained and insightful. She took me aside. She said, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, definitely. And she said, I just want to tell you something. And I said, okay. She said, you know, you're, you're a wonderful performer. 
and you know you're waiting for the butt right i'm right. like i'm like uh, and and you know all i had done was basically bleed for this woman and, and give my heart and soul so you can imagine in that moment i was a little bit confused in, in in what she was even trying to convey to me other than i love you and and you're amazing right because that's what the ego wants yeah. but she said you're an amazing performer but you need to embrace where you came from and I never talked to this woman about where I was from or what my background was. She didn't know me, but for the time we had spent together working and I had not spent any social time with this person or personal time with this person. And, and listen, you know, yeah. Can you look on the internet and find out where I come from? Of course. But it was deeper than that. It wasn't her saying, Hey, you know, go back to, to, embracing being a cowboy what it meant was know thyself right. know who you are and it that moment spoke to my soul because i'd spent a long time in hollywood trying to be something that i wasn't right. and trying trying to please a lot of other people and a lot of that comes with the industry when you're an actor especially when you're young, you don't even know who you are and you're trying to please a lot of people. And it takes a while for you to figure out that you have to please yourself. Yes. And if you please yourself and set that bar high, then everyone else will be pleased. And I was able to kind of figure that out and survive that, um, the chaos of trying to please everybody, which is a, high stress, high pressure situation. If you let yourself go there, but the, the, the greats don't, the greats practice fast and rodeo and they practice slow and, and rodeo fast. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's like, there's nothing better than, than good, solid training. And then when you nod your head, man, you can throw caution to the wind and, and generally it will work out if you've done the homework. Well, me being able to hear somebody say to me, remember who you are, because that's your superpower. And that was her exact words. Set me down. And, 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 and now you have to understand, I had two months of a place rented out that I was, I was just kind of boxed up in LA and LA was shut down. Um, and I was living in, you know, Atlanta and, and Tennessee um, so I decided to stay and I decided, well, you know, I don't want to get on the other side of this, uh, you know, temporary thing they're calling COVID with a degree in drinking. So let's, let's get a guitar and focus on something. So I picked up a guitar and, uh, I started playing a little bit and I had this, this vision of a film that I, I want to do, um, about what I would, I would called the J.D. Salinger of country music. He's a guy that that wrote and performed one album and it kind of blew up and and um, he shied away from the business and he went back to the ranch to train horses and be who he was. And, and um, growing up, like I said, a cowboy raised by cowboys to be a cowboy. I can handle all the roping and the riding and, 
the, the ranching and the cowboying and make that legit. One of the things that pains me the most, and I'm sure all our cowboy brother and sisters out there understand when we watch a Western that does it right. We really appreciate that. And when we watch one that does it wrong, it cuts us off so very deep. It's almost embarrassing for us. We just got to go, God dang, you know, that's not right. What the heck? It's funny because I saw a shot the other day and it was in a good program. It was, it was in this, a great Western and I'm watching them round up some wild Mustangs. And I point out to my girl, I go, look at those six in the middle with halters and lead ropes on dragging through the middle. I like, you know, these are wild Mustangs. And she said, I didn't even notice that. I said, well, nobody does, but like, you know, I'm watching it. That's the only thing I notice, you know, and it makes me cringe in my boots. So I want to do, I want to be able to work on, on, um, a, a, a film about cowboys made by cowboys for cowboys that we can all be proud of right. and include music in it. And that was my dream. So I set out on this mission and I started for the very first time. And by the way, I came from a musicals family. My father was a bull rider. I spent hours in a Ford Pinto in the seventies driving for miles and the only thing that came out of that radio was news. I wasn't until seven or eight years old. I figured out music came out of that thing. And I was so damn pissed, you know? <laughs> so I started playing a little bit and lo and behold, it came kind of natural. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, I was able to apply some of my wordsmithing that I've accumulated over the years by some great, great writers and storytellers. Um, And it wasn't a difficult transition to go from telling a story on film for two hours to telling a story on tape for two minutes. You know, you still have a beginning, a middle and an end. And what makes something deemed acceptable or cool or likable, um, you know, who has tastes that we like or, charisma or that it factor whatever the hell it is i don't know i don't know there's a lot of music out there that is is just okay but it's on the radio um who am i to say it's just okay and that's the point it's so subjective right somebody else might think that's the greatest song they've ever heard but there was something missing out there for me and i'm a big fan of southern rock i'm a big fan of texas rock that 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 down home thunder beat that we used to get from Stevie Ray and the Thunderbirds and, you know, get down there to that Southern rock from the seventies, the almonds and Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, that stuff that even, you know, Cowboys love. It's like, it, it's our, it's our, our secret go-to, you know, when we're not listening to Merle or Johnny and, and for me, there was something missing out there. And and that sound lent to storytelling. And I started to kind of work with a group of guys and we caught fire. And, and, you know, I've got my first album getting ready to come out 
February 3rd. Um, my third single is about to release here on December 9th. Um, I, I never planned on having my own tour, my own band, records out, right. you know, uh, responsibilities that go with that. Um, but I fell in love with it. And what happened was, for the first time, I wasn't hiding behind a role. I wasn't, I wasn't playing a character um, uh, behind camera lenses that, you know, were dressed up by editing and special effects. I'm out there. I'm Tommy Howell. That's what I've been called my whole life. I, I've got a guitar and a couple of buddies, and we have a damn good time. We share some stories about my life in Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, when I was younger, I got a glimpse of old Hollywood. I did a movie with Elizabeth Taylor, you know, and, and I tell people this all the time. I said, I don't care who you are. Elizabeth Taylor used to make me tea and tell me stories and, and, and bought me presents and treated me like a king. So you can't forget how to, how to treat people, no matter how famous you become, how tough the times are. As an artist, just like a rodeo cowboy, man, we ride, we win, we buck off, we lose, man. You know, it's, it's, it's life. As an artist, you, there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys, man. There's times I've been so damn hungry. And there's times, man, I'm feeding everybody. <laughs> right. There's something addicting to that, you know. That safe place of everything being great and always having a pocket full of cash and always being able to interrupt first and, and never having anything to really lose makes you fat and lazy, man. You know, and I'm talking emotionally and mentally. I'm not talking physically. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just talking like you, you get a little comfortable, you know, and I think really great artists remember that it's about the work. You know, I remember my best runs, whether I was tying calves or foolishly trying to learn how to bulldog at my 125 pounds, you know, getting flung into the back end. You know, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of time spent in the dirt, you know, and, and that's where we found the answers in the dirt. We didn't find them on this device swiping left, you know, right, right. It, 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 it was a different way of thinking. We got dirty. We were sweaty. You know, we needed a shower when we got home. We didn't shower because, you know, we wanted to fix our hair, right? right. It's a di different thing. It, we, we, we worked hard and we played hard and we had responsibilities and I had to clean stalls and I had to, you know, ride horses and, and, and blanket and unblanket and feed. And, and, and it, it was something at a young age that has made everything I do now, um, it sort of made me impervious to the quote unquote pressure because I get asked a lot. Now, there's nothing, it's, it's, it's just like that same moment when you drew, when you, when you draw a bad one and you're getting down on him and you nod right when you nod your head, you know, you can get off. 
But when you commit, you nod your head. It's like, it's like, there's nothing like just stepping out of that curtain. You know, it's like a head nod, you know, you, you're backstage and it's all in front of you and you're with your boys. But the second you, you nod your head, you go through that curtain. It's time to cowboy up. And being 55, I can't compete in rodeo like that. I do like the team rope and I like to rope at home and practice and ride horses, but it beats the hell out of me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, even just running a few team rope and it just, you know, I feel like I rode the rankest one ever. Yeah. And, and, and so there's still a tiny bit of that competitive vibe that I get to carry on within myself because when I rodeoed, I competed against myself. I never competed against other Cowboys. I always helped every other Cowboy I could. And if it was mine, it was yours. And, um, that's how I was raised. And, and so, you know, when I'm singing, I compete against myself and I challenge myself to, to, um, grow and to learn from the best. And, and it was just the way I was raised. So it's been an amazing journey. It's been, uh, a direct reflection of, of where I came from. I got my partner here. I see that. Yeah. I see that. Hey, this is Waylon. Waylon. <laughs> yeah, man. Say hi, Waves. He's been a little sleepy and mom's not here, so I hold him so he don't bark. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, he, he this podcast would be different if he had his way. <laughs> Any, anyway, you know, being able to apply where I'm from and the way I was raised um, to what I'm doing now has been the greatest gift ever. And that woman that took me backstage and said, embrace where you come from and who you are, lit a fuse like I can't even tell you. And this music career um, has led me to my people. And it's given me a platform to share my stories about working with, you know, some greats to some crazy effing folk, man. And it's it's been a hell of a ride. You know, I'd like to write a book someday. But in the meantime, this has been, you know, honestly, I think um, and we don't we don't talk too much, but I'd say if we have an hour and a half show, we probably talk 20 minutes of it. Right. We come out, we bang out six hard songs and then we unplug and go acoustic and sit down and kind of bring people a little closer and right. tell stories about the late great Patrick Swayze or what it was like, you know, working with little rubber doll, they called ET and these type of things that people spent time with, you know, it's funny because back then those movies were all we had and, yeah. and they kind of formed who we were. I have people that come up to me and say, Oh my God, I watched Red Dawn 400 times. I right. dug a spot. I dug a spider hole in my backyard when I was 14 and I was, I was grounded all summer, you know, yeah. Yeah. But those are, those are the great moments. And you work on these pieces and you don't think, well, this is going to become a part of, you know, kind of Americana pop culture in a way, you know, I think, oh. Absolutely. Every hunter's got a copy of Red Dawn in the in the truck or the cabin. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, yeah. um, it, it it it's just such a pleasure to uh, have spent a lifetime, and happily, mind you, yeah. I, I'm one of you know, I'm not bitter and jaded. I and again, I think it's just because it's where I'm from or how I was raised. You know, people, nobody took advantage of me. Yeah. yeah. Nobody nobody tried to manipulate me or or um you know abuse me 
First of all, my, you know, I pity the fool that tried. My dad would have, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> And my dad wrote books for 10 years for a living. He became a stunt man. You know what I mean? Right. It's like that guy said, did you clean your room? I said, oh, dad, you know, I cleaned the whole house, sir. Yeah. We good. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he he's old school yeah. cowboy to the bone, no nonsense, handshake. Yeah. You know, it's it's Monday and you say, can you meet me next Saturday at five? Um, he's there at four forty-five, right. uh, and wants to know why you're late. I mean, <laughs> back when men were men, you know, right. and it's a, it's such a different life now, and it's incredible. And all these devices are amazing. My God, it's made everything so much easier. Now we've got things like living quarters, and you know what a living quarter was when I was going down the road? A, yeah. a, a freaking sleeping bag, brother. Yeah, in the back of your pickup. <laughs> you ain't lying, man. And 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 you know what? We were happy to have it. Yeah. Couldn't wait to go. Yeah. Couldn't wait to go. Now you hold me in a damn living quarter and say, "Let's go rope." I'm like, I'm good. I'm a turnout, man. I'm watch the game. <laughs> Right. I'm good. Can you, can you go get me a tamale? I'm all right. You know, I, 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 it's just a different world. Uh, it, 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 it's so much more comfortable now. Yeah. You know, I, I pulled in, um, and this was just a few months back where we were, uh, tour, <clears throat> touring through New Mexico and I pulled in the Rio Dosa, um, and they were having a junior rodeo there, but the rigs, were like like for the most expensive kings and queens racehorses you could ever imagine, right? And I'm like, wait a minute. We got all this for the pole bending, you know? <laughs> I, 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 I'm like, man, my dad would have sent me here with the El Camino and a one horse. Right. <laughs> and and I would have had some old pony, and I would have ribbon roped on him, rope calves, heels on him. Yeah. I would have pole bended on him. My sister would run barrel. We'd have done, I mean, everything and come home with four or five buckles. And I mean, the time of our life. And it, and it was the greatest, the greatest way to grow up. I, I, I really appreciate those times so much. And just going back real quick, because this is one of my favorite stories about my father. I did a movie with Elizabeth Taylor, as I said. Back in Italy, I was like 20 years old and it was this supposed to be a six month production shooting, mainly in Italy and Portugal. Well, she shows up on a Monday to go to work on a Friday and one thing leads to another and it takes her about three or four weeks before she's comfortable enough to start her work. One evening, the director, who is Franco Zeffirelli, and some may know that name, some may not know that name, but in the lore of filmmaking, he did Romeo and Juliet, he did The Champ, he did uh, that Brooke Shields movie, uh, maybe All My Love or whatever that was called, that silly movie. But anyway, one of the most famous directors in the world for what he did. Right. And he has invited myself and my father's come to visit me over there invited me and my father to his house for dinner and of course we accept we don't know what's happening right. but we sh we show up and it's mr zeffirelli and five of us me and my father and there's three other people elizabeth taylor 
Mick Jagger. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and his girlfriend, Jerry Hall. <laughs> now, I'm getting ready to star in this movie. So I'm feeling, you know, like I have a place and a purpose to be there. My father, <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to go over, right? Right. I got to tell you something. He was the star of the damn show. I mean, first of all, I didn't know this. But see, my father, well, this part I knew. My father was a stunt coordinator on a movie called Urban Cowboy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He taught John Travolta how to ride the bucking machine. And here's a little side note there. A woman named Patsy Swayze was the dance choreographer of that film. And I was running around with a very young Patrick Swayze at the time. And we were just hanging out while everybody was working. Right. Um, and this was... Oh, a good two, three years before we crossed paths to do the outsiders together. Right. Yeah. And then we then we went on to do three pictures together. So right. he he he, you know, was a very important part of my life for a long time. Yeah. Here I am, I'm in Rome with my bull riding daddy, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor, Mick Jagger, Jerry Hall, <laughs> and Franco Zeffirelli. And I'm not sure how this is gonna go. Little did I know Jerry Hall played a role, a brief role, in Urban Cowboy. you got to be kidding. I go walking into this sort of foyer slash living room with my father. I'm staring at, because I don't know that they're going to be there. Right. Imagine how I felt at right. 19, 20 years old, going, holy crap, that's Mick Jagger. Yeah. And there's pretty much nobody else here. Jerry Hall leaps off the couch, screams, oh, my God, it's Chris Howell, runs over, leaps into my daddy's arms, and off they go talking about urban cowboy and bull riding. And all of a sudden, it was on, and it was one of the most memorable nights ever. Elizabeth Taylor had the biggest crush on my daddy, wanted to hear bull riding story after bull riding story. <laughs> It was one of the greatest moments of, of my life. That's and crazy. I went from, oh, God, how is this going to go, to <laughs> watching my father be the center of attention, and they loved every minute of it and, 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 and probably were relieved. You know, how many times do those folks go into a room like that, and they're the ones that have to do the talking? Right. And, and my dad just took the torch and just said, I got this. And I tell you what, it was awesome. That is an amazing story. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I, I, I just reported a podcast before you and we were talking about Urban Cowboy because someone had sent her a VHS of it. And I, I mean, I remember when that movie came out. That's a, another iconic movie to me. Oh, that, that, you remember that buckle on the on the poster that he's wearing? My daddy won that buckle and said, wear this in the movie. No and uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's back in like we were going to Billy Bob's and yeah. – uh, Mickey Gillies and yeah. all that stuff was just happening and it yeah. was big, big, big deal. And my, my dad was in the center of all that, man. Yeah. I remember, I remember quick and one more quick story. Um, Travolta was scared to, to, to crank the uh, bucket machine up past three. Right. And you know, I was riding the hair off of everything back then. My dad brought me in to throw me on the bucket machine, just spun that thing around on eight. And I just kicked it both ways and hopped off and laughed and said, can we do it again? And that's when Travolta was like, okay, 
and they went to work on it and he taught him how to ride that thing pretty damn good yeah. um double my daddy doubled him a little bit but travolta did most of that stuff and uh um it was you know kind of impressive back then yeah yeah it was a great movie i'll never forget i bought a like, you know, you talked about, you know, discovering yourself and being who you really are, you know, and, and, and the reason I started this podcast is because I've, I've been wanting to be a cowboy since I was born. I mean, in 1958, you know, and 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 I did wasn't raised on a ranch or anything, but uh, going through all those transitions when Urban Cowboy came out, I loved it so much. But I bought a cowboy hat at uh, J.C. Every, yeah. Everybody did, man. Of J.C. Penney's had a big old the feather on the front. Of course. Yeah. Of course it yeah, did. Yeah, but I love that. Love that movie. That's a great story, man. I did not know that. Yeah. So yeah, my, 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 I, I've been blessed. And um, like I said, took, took uh, a long time to realize, yeah. um, you, you know, we, we're quick to recognize what we don't have. But, right. you know, we, we really need to just stop and appreciate what we do have. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Come here, Waylon. Come here. Okay, come on. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, did, did you know? Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, I mean, the cowboy is such an iconic figure. You know, worldwide, and uh, I mean, everybody can identify with it. You know, uh, I remember when I had John Grounie on the on the podcast, and he says, you know, I, I'd be in in you know China, and they just look and smile and go American cowboy. You know, yeah. and and uh, uh, you know, it's it's like. Everybody at one point in their life, you know, wanted to, you know, have a pony or ride across the open range. And it's so it's so interesting because I didn't know any of this about you that that you were raised, you know, on ranch and, and rodeo and stuff. But there's a lot of people in, in Hollywood. I've you know, because I've had other guys on um, uh, James. Um, gosh, what's his name? He's on uh, Grey's Anatomy. Um, he puts on a big team rope and. Uh, anyway, there's just. Uh, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't know that. You know, it's a funny thing because there's a. Um, you know, there's a large portion of Hollywood that misunderstands um, ranching, right. and and it, 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 I feel like somebody has to have a voice for the truth to some right. degree, right. and it, you know, it's it's um, it's it's part of our culture and our heritage. I mean, I mean, cowboying is the foundation of of who we are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. No doubt. Yeah, and I recently, you know, James Con, uh, you know, rested. Yeah, life. amazing guy. Yeah, I like that. He just passed. He used to him. rope. He could. He used to yeah. rope really well. In fact, yeah. In fact, the guys that he used to rope with, H.P. Evans, was world champion header. Yeah. Um, he used to double him all the time. Very good friend of my family and mine. And and H.P. used to rope with a guy named Danny Costa, yeah. who's another very good friend of mine. And 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 those are the guys yeah. that I was raised with. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's so cool. So when you when you but so when you got started in the movies then I mean did, did you ha have any inclination that you know the way your career was going to go or did it just keep unfolding I mean because you've been in so many great movies and I mean I'd forgot about E T and that's another I mean that's another iconic film that's a great movie it really is well I'll tell you I got a funny E T story for you I don't know how much time we have we but... got we got tons of time I'm not in a hurry so so um. The ET story, real quick, and then and then you'll have to remind me what you just what you just asked me. But okay. <laughs> periodically, I would get picked up at school from Daddy, and you know, well, I didn't know if we were going to go gather cows or go to an audition for some big expensive movie. 
Right. And and that, that would happen from time to time. And he picked me up and he said, we got to go to Hollywood. And I said, okay, what are you doing? He said, I don't know. You got to meet this guy, directed Jaws. And uh, he's, he's doing a movie and it, they're looking for a kid that can ride a bike. And I said, okay, I can ride a bike. He says, but they, they, you got to be able to smoke a cigarette. I was like, you know, well, I don't do that, but, you know, whatever. And my dad had stopped by the 7-Eleven and he bought a pack of Marlboros and some matches and he stuck them in my hand. And he said, I want you to figure out how to light that on the way down. <laughs> so, you know, I'm striking things and trying to do this mess. And right. we get there about 30 minutes later and we go walking into this room and there's about six guys that look identical. They all look like John Stamos, right? With right. the with the the blue eyes and the, the brown feathered back hair and right. look like they just come all come out of a salon. Right? right. And, and I, you know, was wearing whatever the hell I got up, put on and we just, you know, I had ball cap hair and we were rolling. Right. Right. And I looked at that mess. I said, daddy, let's get out of here, man. You know, I'm not like them boys. And, and so one of them are going to get that part and let's just go. He said, no, nah, we're going to wait. And we waited and kid left, another kid left, and pretty soon I had to go in. It was my turn. And I walk in this room and the light's pretty bright. And you can see sort of the silhouettes of a lot of people, some voices coming at you. But you can't see a lock, you're sitting in a chair. Right. And the questions start coming at you, you know. And uh, they did a little bit of research. I knew my daddy was a stump person and right. liked the fact that. You know, I come from a rural background and rode horses and they right. figured that the bike thing could be pretty easy. And he gets to the thing about the cigarettes. How do you feel about you know smoking a cigarette? And I kind of nervously fished out this crumpled packet of Marlboros and <laughs> pulled out a bent cigarette that did a 90 degree turn and struck a match two or three times. And he started laughing and said, okay, kid, you got the part. <laughs> and, you know, Again, that's the shrewdness of, of having a, a, a street hustling bull rider for a father. Right. Um, you know, uh, don't put a big deal on it. Just slips this packet of cigarettes in my hand and says, try to figure out how to light this. And a lot of other people would have put a lot of emphasis on a lot of different things and a lot of focus on a lot of different things that would have caused a lot of stress. And, right. and, and you know, uh, m my father, for the most part, was a single daddy. And... And having a, a, a single parent that was a bull rider uh, slash stunt man was a real interesting way to grow up. Um, it, it, I had to grow up quickly. And for a, a large part, um, you know, my father was 19 when he had me. So he was a kid, you know, uh, raising a kid. But he, he, he quickly became my hero once I had a couple of kids and I realized Holy crap, man. Yeah. You know, he could have punted me to the curb quickly and chased his dreams. And and instead he he embraced me and chased his dreams. So there's something deep about that. There's something incredible about setting an example of meeting your responsibilities, but not allowing that to negate your dreams. Right. A lot of us feel like, well, I'm married and have kids now. I can't, I can't be the world champion, you know, whatever. I, I disagree with that. You know, I think uh, a steady home life makes 
for clear horizons. I think clear horizons creates a positive space to manifest the reality that we want to experience, whether we're rodeoing, making movies, selling, you know, stock, whatever. Right. Uh, it, it all goes hand in hand. Um, a, a lot of success isn't by accident. You know, it takes a lot of work to right. feel worthy of being successful and not ruining it. A, a lot of us would rather be right than be successful. What does that mean? Well, we we can feel unworthy of success. And then while it's crashing to the ground, we can say, well, I knew that was going to happen right. and become self-righteous in the being correct instead of learning the lesson that is really there for us to learn right. because we don't, we don't fail until we quit. We just keep going. And that, and that's really been my mentality to, you know, work hard, work hard. And even in those challenging moments, the other night, I'm in, I'm in, I'm exterior Las Vegas. It's 39 degrees and I'm working in a fountain outside on Fremont street four in the morning, getting wet. And, you know, it was that part of me that wanted to diva right up and bitch and moan and be like, this sucks, man. Right. But, <laughs> but it, it's a way stronger example to attack that moment yeah. and not be that person, but be the person that says, can I get you a blanket? Do you need a hot coffee? It, it changes the vibe completely than to be some bitching, moaning, you know, uncomfortable person, because that's how I felt. You know, I, I, I easily could have just bitched my way through it, man. Right. But that's when you cowboy up, man. That's when I look back at where I came from and how I was raised. And I don't do that. I don't make that choice. I make the choice to cowboy up. And you know what happens? It makes everybody work harder and faster and it gets done quicker. Yeah. So that again, it, 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 I attribute it to where I'm from and, and how I was raised. And at the time I hated it. Yeah. You know, I hated the fact that, you know, my father was a bull rider on the road for a living and we didn't really have a steady home. And, right. you know, uh, my mom was kind of in and out of my life and, and I struggled, you know, I struggled as a kid and saw a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have seen. And experienced a lot of things that a lot of kids never experienced in their life that it's too bad because they never will. There was one thing you asked me about that I want to go back to. And you said, you know, when I started working, when I, when I started doing ET and, you know, the outsiders, did I, did I know I was going to have a career right. that, that, you know, has happened and whatever. Some may say I had a great career. Some may say, you know, I failed. I don't know. But I will say this. At a young age, I worked really hard and had great success in the arena. And, and that wasn't because of luck or lack of work or because my father could buy me that bull ride. You know, you, you had to do it yourself. Yeah. So, hey, man, stop it. So... <laughs> 
I didn't. It was really difficult. Again, I got I got hung up and trying to please a lot of people at a young age because I didn't have the experience to trust myself right. in the decision making process. So I relied on a lot of other people and that breaks you down. That's not the way to go. Even if you don't have the experience, you still got to listen to your own gut, do the homework, make the decision yourself. And, and that comes with performing that comes with, you know, choosing the roles that comes with, you know, um, the life decisions, everything. And I, I knew that by working really hard as a child, I had, I had great success and I was able to um, understand that that hard work produced the outcomes that I dreamt about. I was able to apply that to my approach to filmmaking, but, but the difference is, as an actor, I'm playing a lot of different roles and um, there's a lot of new things that, that, you know, I mean, if I was just playing a cowboy my whole life, man, nobody's going to do that better than me, you know, but you're playing a a guy that plays a violin, a a doctor, you know, a race car driver. And, and these things, some come easy. Some are very hard. Some don't come easy. And being able to apply yourself to the work needed to overcome, first of all, the fear that, that we all deal with because every artist, I don't care, man, Johnny cash yeah. was nervous when he stepped out on stage, man. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of it. Yeah. Um, it. It's what we do when we're on that stage, you know, that matters. Right. And, and, and the, the work, and the time and the effort put into it and the prep. You know, like, it's funny because a lot of, I get this question, you know, when somebody asks you, well, what's your biggest fear? And somebody like, oh, the dark or, right. you know, um, you know, being burnt or drowning. Right? My, my standard answer always across the board is being unprepared. Yeah. I hate that feeling more than anything in the world. It don't matter what it is I'm doing, man. If I'm unprepared and don't understand what we're doing, but it's time to do it. Right. Oh my God. Oh my God. That, that like, I'm ready to break stuff, you know? <laughs> and so discovering that feeling at a young age, uh, really drove me to work hard and know what to do in those different moments. And, uh, um, it, it's, it's allowed me to challenge myself. Yeah. No idiot would go from never playing guitar ever <laughs> to, you know, 12, 16 months later living in Nashville and have a band and touring. I mean, it, it's a, it's a big leap, yeah. but exactly what we just talked about was a big reason why I was able to do that because I spent a lifetime learning how to play the doctor, learning how to play the violin, learning how to play the, the you know the race car driver and make it believable and in a way yeah it was a role that i could wrap my arms around this guy that 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 writes songs and tells stories and sings but more importantly it's it's who i was on the inside that i didn't acknowledge right 
And by acknowledging that part of myself, it changed my life. And it's been the greatest gift ever. Yeah. Isn't that exciting though? I mean, cause I, 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 I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you're 55, you know, and you're not, you know, jaded or bitter. And, uh, that was one of the things as, as I started getting older, cause I'm 64 now. And uh, that was one of my things was, and I don't want to be a, you know, old, bitter, bitter old man, you know, that, and, yeah. and, and I'm not, and, and, but to do something like it at 55, starting this, basically it's a Sorry. new career. No question. Yeah. No question. No fool. No. It's only a fool would do this. I agree. But it's (laughs) but it's exciting though. You know what I mean? And 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 I've I've done the same thing. Even just with like my podcast. You know when I started. Sure, man. Things that have happened from it. It, So you know, I I really admire that, and I think that's what a lot of guys. Well, you know, I I think um, it's human to want to stay in our safe little cubicle, right? Because that's our pencil sharpener that's my pencil that's my photo of my child and nobody gonna touch my cubicle but for me um i don't have the comfort of the cubicle but by embracing change it has enabled me to go so far beyond the comforts of the cubicle you know, change doesn't automatically mean it's going to be worse. Right. We have this tendency to feel like, oh, God, you know, wait, I can't quit this job because I don't have another job yet. Right. <laughs> well, well, I understand the feeling of that. Right. But it's not it's not often like we, we would quit a job and shrivel up and die. Right. Right. But we could quit a job and somehow the pressure of that can form that diamond we're looking for. Right. By by forcing us to change because we we can't stay. And I got to the point where I started searching for that. I I wanted change because it was the fruits and the treasures of, of my life I had discovered were right beyond that threshold of that fear that I didn't want to go through. It was never worse. It has never been worse. It has every single time been better. So why are we afraid of change? Even when it's disguised as quote unquote worse, that's just training you for something better. And in the moment, we're suffering and we think we're lacking, but my God, man, my life's gotten better because of that. And, and, you know, for me, if, if I was never wanting to change, I'd be looking at retirement and, you know, taking my pension and, (laughs) and calling it, you know, but I'm starting a brand new gig. Yeah. And it's killer, man. It's killer. It's giving me, you know, um, power to say no to Hollywood. Yeah. That is something that I, you know, d- didn't have the benefit of having uh, right. when I was raising three kids and I was married. Right. Um, it, you know, if I had that, then, oh, my God, I probably would have had a very different career. Uh, you know, but you got to take a job once in a while to pay the bills. And yes. yeah. 
and we all have to run from that Martian on Sci-Fi Network once in a while, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it, it 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 hurts the ego, but I gotta tell you, I learned more on on those experiences, you know. Ducking down, going through the small door teaches you something right. than, 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 you know, parading through the archways. Um, I learned a hell of a lot more on those, uh, those movies that quote unquote, you know, paid the bills. Right. And, um, I'm blessed to have done that stuff, but oh my God, is it hard, brother? It's so <laughs> hard to do. Even the greatest movies, like I did, I did this thing, Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man I did. And it was the first one with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. I had a small role in it. You know, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of camera time out of the whole production. I was there for probably seven weeks. And I mean, a lot of hanging around and not knowing what's going on. And right. come back tomorrow and nothing happening. And, and that's a different type of work. And I've gone like this thing I just did called obliterated for Netflix, which is might be my favorite thing I've ever done. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done physically. Um, it's, it's made by the creators of Cobra Kai. Right. It's a comedy and, and it's the premise is basically um, a group, a group of elite team members are assembled to, uh, locate a, a dirty nuke that's being traded in Las Vegas. And we do, we do eight, we did eight episodes of this, but it's sort of, the premise is sort of the series 24. Remember Jack Bauer? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Kind of like 24 meets the hangover. Right. Got you. <laughs> so an episode one, we find the bomb. I play an EOD. I dismantle it. Right. We're done on episode one, and I go ahead and spike the guacamole with some uh, acid and some mushrooms, and I blow my team apart. And we get a phone call a couple hours later, and we're informed that that was a decoy bomb, the real bomb we have six hours to find, and we're all completely annihilated. <laughs> and that's the premise of the story. And now we're running around Vegas, um, tripping balls, trying to find dirty bombs and bad guys. And and it's pretty awesome. It was a pretty awesome experience. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And that's going to be coming out next fall on uh, Netflix. Next. Oh, next fall. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Literally, literally, we just, I finished filming it three days ago. No, no kidding. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, you know, looking back from the beginning of your career, I mean, how, how is it the movie industry and, you know, in filming and just the production of films is, that's had to have changed so much as well. And the other thing too, that I, that's, I, I just, I, I want to know is like, you were never had any formal acting training, right? You are you no. a natural actor. I mean, it just, it just comes to you naturally to be able to, you know, get into character and do that. Cause that's not easy to do. I wouldn't think either. Well, that's also a muscle. You know, there's a certain amount of training that comes with, listen, it all comes down to focus and prep. Right. It, you know, a lot of people ask things and this is kind of actor talk, so I'll keep it short. But a lot of people ask, oh, my God, you know, how do you learn all those lines? Like everybody puts in, how do you learn all those lines? Well, right. I don't even start with that. You don't you don't look at a script going, let me learn lines right. that just produces bad acting. When I get <laughs> into understanding intention and behavior, then 
lines come easy because I know the story I'm telling. I yes, I I understand the point of it. Once you're clear on that, the words flow, man. It's not like I'm literally just trying to be a parrot and repeat a script. Right. I'm trying to tell you a story, and that's a visual uh, aspect as well as a verbal part of it. It's it's like a whole thing, you know. So it, it's it's for me. Having no real formal training, just I've had no formal training in music either. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because uh, I'd sit there and I, I'll pick up, uh, you know, an old Hank Williams song and, and So Lonesome I Could Cry. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, that's kind of a waltzy three, four tempo. Well, you know, I get it and I say, I want to play this in a four, four. And now all my band members go, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. I said, why not? They said, well, because it's a three, four waltz. I said, well, let's play it in a four, four kind of a, you know, sad Southern Rocky thing. And they're like, whoa, you can't. I'm like, why not? Right. I, when you don't know the rules. Right. <laughs> there's something beautiful about, it. you know, there, there there's, I push my guys into playing so long as I can cry and do a four, four tempo. And they didn't think they could do it. And they were like, this is badass." I'm like, there you go. Yeah. So, um, it, it, there's a real spiritual aspect to my work. What do I mean by that? Man, I, I trust, I trust whatever that is. That's bigger than us all, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, it, it you know, I, there's a, there's a gift if you allow it to be given to you right. every, every day. Yeah. And, and we tend to get in the way of all that. Oh yeah. And yeah. I'm just trying to not get in my own way, brother. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like I used to say, you know, <clears throat> I wonder who created all this chaos in my life. And then I just look in the mirror and there's the, culprit right there. Yeah, that's him <laughs> yeah. i know that guy yeah 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 well, sometimes no go ahead i was gonna sometimes we just got to take that you know cup of muddy water and just set it down and let it just kind of all sink down and and you know i say this all the time i say you know everything is is seasonal right thank god yeah um but that just means that that when when we're going through good times, we need to stop and smell the roses and appreciate it because yeah. it, things change. Things don't last forever. The good times and the bad times, and that goes with the bad times too. When we're having a hard time, we know that spring is eventually coming, and we got to make the right decisions to get us in and out of those tough times. But you know, for the most part, that's how we learn our lessons, right? And it's how we manage those times, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, especially when I was a kid, you always think, oh, you look at a, a movie star, or, you know, a music artist and and you think, oh, man, they just got it made. But you re you reference this so much about work, uh, commitment, discipline, you know, and it's not easy making films or, or you know, uh, making music or, or anything. It's and, and everybody's got the same type of struggles in life. It's just 
depends on what your struggle may be and in, in, in what you do, you know, and I think that sure that's a, a it's so easy and in today's world too, you know, everybody's looking around, uh, man, I would just want to be an influencer and have all these companies send me checks or whatever, but right. you know, it, it, it still doesn't change. I mean, even I know influencers that work very hard to be influencers. It just, you know, nothing comes easy in life and you got to be, prepared to work it's a lot of work to shake that butt on tiktok buddy yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well hey man we're getting close to the end of our time but i always ask i appreciate you yeah i always ask everybody these the same three questions though tommy so uh okay you have a favorite hat maker or hat brand um you know um i got a guy out of la right now uh, his name's Arthur. He started this new company called A&M Hatters. And he's my boy right now. But there's a guy in Nashville that I absolutely love. And um, he runs a company called Daisy May. And Daisy May is a, is a great hat company. And another guy that I think is, you know, has got the corner the market cornered right now in sort of customized hats. He, he makes all the hats for, uh, he did it for like, uh, what was that? 1893, that yeah, Yellowstone yeah. thing. Right, right. Um, and there's a guy named, uh, his name is Charlie. And he owns a company called Lone Hawk hats out of, uh, New Mexico. And he makes a really great hat. Uh, I'm wearing a, an American hat right now from the mm-hmm. American hat company. Yeah. Um, can't go wrong there. And I like a good Stetson as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm a hat guy yeah. and I know I didn't give you that one definitive answer, no, but it's because good. it's because I'm a hat guy. So I can't give you the one definitive answer. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I am too. And I wear a hat every day, you know, great, you know, and I don't have any cattle right now either, but I wear a hat every day. <laughs> hey man, I make them too. Look at my table. I oh. made all. I oh made all these right here. Oh my gosh, you do all these. Are, yeah, look at this, man. I put this burnt mark. Do it for Johnny here on this little bad boy. I don't know if I you can see it. that. Yeah, I can totally see it. Yeah, I love and uh, you know, I just make these. I like to hand make these flowers and and these wraps. It's just something I like to do in my free time. You know, we used to make rains and. And uh, on the ranch, we used to make all kinds of lead ropes and halters. And I learned how to plait and braid and uh, sit around the house. And, um, you know, I make my own hat bands and everything. And somebody said, hey, will you make me one? And it started out like that. And I I made 12 hats. I put them on my website. I said, I got this collection. And they were gone in 10 hours. And I was like, my, my Lord. I was like, well, we'll do it again. And I made another 12 and man, they're all gone. So, uh, it's some, it's some gifts for some people. And, um, you know, it, it, it's something that they might appreciate that, uh, I spent time with, um, and, and, um, it's kind of cool when everybody gets, everybody likes a cool hat, you know? So, um, I kind of, a little something I like to do when I'm sitting around the house watching a game or something. Yeah. Very cool. How about boots? You got a favorite boot maker or boot brand? Well, I'll tell you this, man. You know, uh, Texas Boot Company oh, yeah. takes care. They take care of me. Um, and, you know, I like Anderson Bean. I, li- I like the high-end boot. I really do. I got some really nice boots that came out of that Texas Boot Company. Um, but, man, I grew up wearing an old Justin Roper oh, yeah. and get just getting by, man. You know, and uh, 
Um, I got, I got uh, everything from, uh, you know, homemade, you know, where you put your foot in the, the model, that, that handmade yep. boot to the, to the sloppy fitting Tony Lama. Right. Um, I was raised in them. I wear boots all the time. And, uh, Right now I'm wearing like a lace up roper every day. And I just I just prefer to it's got a zipper on the side. I can go through the airports, kick them off, no problem. Right. Uh boots when you travel are the way to go. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. How, how about Western movies? You got a favorite uh Western well, cowboy? Well, I gotta tell you, there is an absolute great series on TV that you may or may not be aware of. It's called Godless. Did you see that? Oh yes, I saw it. Yeah. Loved it. Phen- phenomenal, right? Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and then it twice. <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. so absolute. Jeff, you know, I did a movie with Jeff Bridges when I was a kid called Gettysburg. Yes, that was yes. about the civil, the civil war. So I'm a big Jeff Bridges fan. You know, he just he won an Emmy for that role in Godless. And and I just think as far as a Western goes, my God, that was so well done. I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't watch Yellowstone, strangely enough. Um, I I did watch uh, again, 1883. um, Big Sam Elliott fan. I was intrigued by uh, McGraw and Hill, what they would do. And I thought they did a pretty good job in that that program um uh, uh and of course man i mean don't we all love tombstone oh, and, and that the greatest yeah. and 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 deadwood's one of the greatest things ever made i've never heard so many f-bombs dropped oh, in my I life love, man i love that absolute <laughs> best you know uh, deadwood it yeah. gotta be one of the greats and, i mean i like 310 to yuma as well oh, great, like, great movie yeah absolutely great movie and yeah. you know i'm a john wayne guy I'm a John Ford guy. Yeah. Um, my great grandfather was actually killed on the set of Stagecoach doing uh, doing a transfer on that John Ford picture, starring uh, John Wayne, a very young John Wayne. Oh, and 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 the irony in my life is is uh, my great grandfather was stunt. Well, he was a cowboy, and he was hired to do this stunt, and he killed him. But um, he had a son that became an actor. Oh. And and that guy who was my grandfather, David, had a son, my father, Chris, who became a stuntman. He had a son, me, became an actor. Yeah. So it goes stuntman actor, stuntman actor. That's kind of cool. weird, you know. What a legacy. So cool. And here we are. Yeah. Well, Tommy, I'll tell you, man, I I I just it's so exciting talking to you and I mean I, I appreciate you man yeah and I just man your story is just uh, it's amazing uh I didn't know half of that about you uh but I've you know just watched you over the years and in all the the films and stuff and just loved them and uh, it's so cool to to be able to meet you and and, and hear your story and and we got to do this again Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, man. Well, de- definitely would love. And to if you don't mind, I, you know your listeners that they can kind of keep track of me over at TommyHowellMusic.com. We got all our dates for the tour. We, you know, we're all through Oklahoma, Texas, and the South, and we're getting, we got a West Coast swing coming up here, um, February, March. So take a peek. You know, we're going to be up there in like Tahoe and Northern Cal and Sacramento and. It's gonna be fun. So if you get some, if you get some free time, come and see us. Absolutely. Are you gonna? Are you guys gonna uh, 
be in Arizona at all? Um, not on the plate yet, but we will. You know, I just off the top of my head, a great place. Uh, if you guys look at it, uh, they have a great little venue here in Wickenburg, uh, the Flying E uh, Ranch. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, is yeah. that where you live in Wickenburg? Yeah, yeah. And ah, uh, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, my buddies run a really big roping down there every year. My father goes and and yeah. you know pulls up and ropes right there in those two arenas i i roped there all last year down there in wickenburg yeah yeah it's uh it's on up here right now man i mean it's it's well right now it's the it's the time to be there isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. All, all the arenas are just are just booming. happening yeah but that'd be a great place um I, I had bryce long on the podcast uh and then he came out and it's a great little venue right there on the ring. that's awesome man i would love to do that especially with one of the bigger opens going on i got a bunch yeah. of friends there it'd be, yeah. be a real blast to put that on it would be really cool yeah all right tommy well hey man i better let you thank go, you man. brother i appreciate your time man thank you yeah. so much yeah thank you man i really appreciate it and, and hopefully yes, we'll, meet, we'll meet up here in wickenburg that'd be great that's awesome, man. My best to you and all the people in Wickenburg. You, yeah. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Yes, sir, man. Talk soon. You too, brother. Bye bye. Bye now. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer, saddle up old rock. And I sit down a cooler, I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and pin. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs, twenty thousand dollar horses. Then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same, the minute we ride in to the rope and pin. can tell someday I just might be we'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies kick back in the saddle and philosophize most of life's problems yeah we're gonna solve them down at the roping pen Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope Now he's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the rope and pain And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack You can back it up Oh, but we're all friends no matter who wins, down at 